640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please, tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question! Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. You do not know what you're going to get, but we've got great topics today and two great guests. As a matter of fact, let's start as we often do. Ladies first. She's a former federal MP, superstar, best-selling author. And uh, and by the way, gas prices are dropping four cents tonight uh, across the GTA at midnight. She and I battle it out at some uh, some of the same gas stations in Durham. I'm sorry I cut you off in traffic the other day. I had to get that final pump. Selena Cesar Chavan joins us, former MP on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back. Good morning, Greg. Uh, and David Ryder is a uh, city bureau chief for the Toronto Star. It's harder. It's harder in the downtown core, David, to find a gas station. When I'm out of out of gas and I'm here down at Coors Key on Queens Key, it's it, you're going quite a way. I think that's by design. I don't think they want us to drive anymore in the city. I think you've written about this several times. Yeah, or or the condo developers have just bought all the old gas stations. It's kind of like finding a parking lot downtown. Yeah, we'll just start putting gas stations into empty office space. Uh, but I feel like there might be some environmental uh, issues there. All right, let's kick it in. Uh, Olivia Chow went to Ottawa. I want you to hear this. She joins us on Toronto Today, top of next hour at 8.05. Here's what she said about how she wants the federal government to work with the city. The working table is there. If the federal government wants to join the provincial and municipal government, we have a break breakthrough with uh, Premier Ford. He's willing to work together, and I certainly hope the federal government would do the same. Okay, so that's Olivia Chow. She'll join us at 8.05. Selena, let's start with you. You've been on both sides of this. You've been with a ruling government where mayors and premiers have to come and visit and, and ask for funding for infrastructure or just now kind of bail out money. And, and you ran for mayor of Toronto and you said, I, I've got these relationships. I've got I've got a, an ability to get into buildings and get into meetings and, and advocate for the city of Toronto. With, when Olivia Chow doesn't get FaceTime with Justin Trudeau, though, over the last two days, what does that mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. So, first of all, it's not an if the federal government comes to the table. It's they need to. She needs to set the tone for these meetings. You have to remember that we had a half a, mil- a half a million people arrive in Canada in 2021, a million in 2022, most of those coming into Ontario, most of those descending in Toronto. This is a federal issue when, we come, when it comes to immigration and housing. They need to be at that table. There is not a matter of if. And I think Olivia Child really needs to set the tones for this meeting. She's either going in and saying, look, here are our vacant buildings. You take housing back from the prov- to the province and the feds and you deal with it or you come up with sustainable, predictable funding formula for Toronto that is not just looking at housing, but the social infrastructure that is required for us to, uh, to not be coming cap in hand every year, every couple of years when it comes to housing. This is going to be a long-term issue. It requires long-term solutions. I presented some of those during my platform and my run for mayor, but I think she really needs to set that tone louder and clearer and not say if they come to the table, have the expectation that the prime minister is at that table having those negotiations. David, I listened to Selena. I think she's nailed that issue. Let me ask you about Olivia Chow. Do we read too much into tone? And what I mean by that is, She's not blustery. She doesn't bang lecterns. She doesn't she doesn't feel demanding in her approach. Are we reading too much into that when she gets in the back room? Is it just the same as John Tory, David Miller, Rob Ford? How do you view it? 
Well, the, the, the messages I get from the people who have dealt with her, both in the premier's office and I, uh, we spoke to some of the federal officials that she was in meetings with yesterday, that so far she seems quite effective. Yeah, every, every politician has a different style. Um, you know, she's uh, quick to laugh when I interview her. Sometimes she's talking about very serious things, but she likes to keep it light. She definitely isn't a, a table banger, but <laughs> she seems to be so far pretty effective. Um, the housing minister emerged yesterday after his meeting with her. He called it an excellent meeting, said that uh, he liked a lot of the things she brought to the table and that he hopes this fall to uh, sign off on Toronto getting its portion of this $4 billion housing accelerator fund that the Trudeau government recently announced. So it seems like, uh, and, and I know she met with the immigration minister yesterday, and she's going to meet with the big one, with the finance minister, Christopher Freeland, at City Hall today. So it seems yeah. like she is getting, whatever her style is or her tone, she is getting action. In a way, actually, I would say John Tory didn't. And you can say, I don't know if that's a factor of timing or, you know, with the Ford government, they were in some trouble. So they were maybe looking for some good news. But there, there definitely is things happening. I have a story today that says she feels there is momentum and mm-hmm. she's quite hopeful. Selena, you'd be excellent to ask this question to you were parliamentary secretary uh, to the prime minister um, for about a year and, and, and change. And I'd ask when when there's a meeting with a cabinet minister, whether it's a Mark Miller, whether it's a Sean Fraser, some of that's for appearance. Of course it is. But do those gentlemen in this case have power? Do they have some sort of autonomy to go back up to Christopher Freeland, to go back up to the prime minister and say, here's the ask. Can we do this? Because I'd love to I'd love a good news announcement. You know what? I have a lot of confidence in Mark Miller. Uh, he is someone that is straightforward. He's someone that um, even when he was working on the indigenous files, we saw mm-hmm. some sort of out of the pocket, out of the sort of script messaging come from him. He is very poignant. And I think that those meetings will be um, fruitful. However, I, I, I do think that there needs to be a a real setting of the tone, especially with Toronto. We have a lot of power. We have a, we have, she, she had met a meeting with the Toronto caucus. We have always showed up for the feds when it comes to Toronto elect, elect elections results. Uh, there, there needs, the prime minister mm. needs to have this meeting with her. And um, I, I think it's great that she meeting with Christia Freeland, but it needs to, the tone is always set from the top. One more on this, David. We saw, obviously, a tremendous reversal by the provincial government. We've got a couple of provincial hot topics to get to as well. And and some of the impetus for that claims Doug Ford was uh, constituents were letting their MPPs know, we voted for you, but we don't like this. There probably is going to be that feeling for liberal MPs right now, especially in the GTA. They're watching their polls slide. They're hearing people angry and concerned and frustrated. So getting sort of, as we call them, victories with the city of Toronto would be a good thing if if any of them want to get reelected, let alone some of them. It absolutely would. And yeah, it's it obviously right that the, the Liberals, sorry, the, the uh, Toronto essentially saved the Liberal minority last time, delivering 24 of 25 seats, mm-hmm. with the one seat being a person who had just been dropped. Um, yeah, the only thing I don't know is whether there's whether there's any uh, impulse on the part of the federal liberals to kind of do a bit of a slow roll and try and get good news more towards an election. But given the terrible news cycles they've had, I would think the the local MPs would be looking for any kind of a win, any kind of a signal. I know the people I talked to at City Hall, 
they feel like the early cooperation uh, they were getting from the Trudeau government with a lot of infrastructure money, lots of transit money, that the tap has kind of like turned off for the last year or so. And they're kind of, you know, saying all of a sudden we're getting a lot more cooperation from the provincial mm-hmm. government. So this, the, the meetings yesterday and today, I think definitely could be a turning of the tide and probably forced by political fortunes. That's David Ryder, City Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. We've also got Selena Cesar Chavan with us, former Liberal MP. Um, Selena, let's go here. We talked most of the week about safety here in Toronto on the show. Young and Dundas Square, we had a lot of guests on for various reasons because there was a story in the Toronto Star about how it's it's a mess. It's not what it used to be. People don't feel safe there. And and they'll say how they feel. When, when you were campaigning in Toronto last spring, um, it, the contrast between all the homelessness, the drug use, the violence, I get that they don't always intersect, but public perception factors in. What are you seeing? What are you hearing on the ground in Toronto about where it's at? I, I don't think Olivia Chow can flip this and may, and go from unsafe to safe in three months. But I'm I think people are worried it's sliding in the wrong direction. Yeah, and this is going to be a build-up for her, right? And it's, it's not just Olivia Child, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, a whole full-court press on being safe is not just a one-dimensional issue. It taps into housing. It taps into social services. It taps into job creation. It taps into all of these social determinants of health that are critically important to curb some of the, the violence that we're having um, and to make sure that a, that a city of Toronto size is, is very safe. And so, again, I think it goes back to the first point of these table conversations we're having with the feds and the province to ensure that we're not just talking about housing in a siloed way, that we're talking about all of this social infrastructure that feeds into housing that then creates a much more sustainable place for people to live, work and play. Um, And that goes with transit, that goes with other um, components, Uh, looking at what other jurisdictions are doing, how they are keeping their city safe and their their um, jurisdictions moving is critically important. So, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not a one dimensional issue. It's going to take the long term. But again, it has yeah. to be all players at the table having a very intentional conversation. David, safety and issues like this. And, and I, you know, I'll even call myself out. We see something happen in the news cycle, a terrible scenario, that that horrible story of the young boy being stabbed uh, it, at Kipling Station. And, and our instant reaction is, let's get a city council's reaction. But there's an MPP that, that gets votes in that area, and there's an MP that gets votes in that area. We often think of this as a municipal problem. I think we're starting to reframe this and say, nah, if you're not safe, if you're not safe at Young Dundas Square, this is everybody's problem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I live in the Leslieville area, and certainly we had that terrible shooting mm-hmm. where, you know, like family woman just out walking, and all of a sudden is is dead and then there's lots of questions about safe injection sites and all sorts of things it is such a complicated problem um and i think it's hard because i think most experts and a lot of politicians think the answers are uh, something you said like supports for for mental health supports for having crisis teams that are ready to to go in with help as opposed to guns drawn the hard thing is then you have to tell people this is going to work we do these investments but you kind of got to wait a bit so it's got to be a whole mixture of things uh i think the you know the kind of law and order response which is just go and try and you know arrest anybody who looks like they may cause trouble obviously isn't going to work and we don't have the police manpower for that anyway um 
But I, I took a look before we spoke this morning at the major crime indicators from the Toronto Police, and, and the perception is true. Most violent crime of the categories is up in Toronto. Thankfully, homicide is an outlier. It's actually down. Yeah. But there, there, there is an issue. There is a problem. And I think mm. that what makes people most worried is the kind of random attacks that we've seen especially on the TTC. And those are the hardest ones because a lot of those people have not either, they've not been in trouble with the law before, they might have had uh, mental health issues, but they're the kinds of ones that like going after bail reform or something, they're not going to stop. Oh, and it, you nailed it, David. And just as an aside, police will call you and say, if you call police, they'll say, oh, are you okay? Yeah, somebody took a swing at me or they grabbed me and shoved me against the wall. They're not, did, did they rob you? No, are you, are you <laughs> do you need to go to hospital? No, they're not coming. They're not coming for those anymore. They're not. Yeah, I mean, there definitely could be and and I think is more uh, security and police presence on the TTC mm-hmm. and some other areas. But um, we're the fourth biggest city in North America. It's a lot of people to try and keep safe. It's, it's, a, it's a huge problem. We've got David Ryder from uh, Toronto Star City Hall Bureau and Selena Cesar Chavan joining us on Toronto Today. Uh, Selena, I want to start with you, but I want to play this clip for the audience. Here's Justin Trudeau saying he wants to have a deeper commitment to closer ties with India, because we're going to get back to this bombshell story from early last week. That's for sure. Here's the prime minister. Oh, I think it's extremely important that all of us continue to engage uh, constructively and and uh, uh, seriously uh, with the government of India. Uh, India is a growing economic power and important uh, geopolitical player. Uh, and you know, as we presented with our Indo-Pacific strategy uh, just last year, we're very serious about building closer ties uh, with India. At the same time, Obviously, as a rule of law country, we need to emphasize uh, that uh, India needs to work with Canada uh, to ensure uh, that we get the full facts of this matter. That's Justin Trudeau from yesterday in Montreal. Um, When I think about that, Selena, I think about you being on the floor of the House of Commons. Uh, That's your that's your workplace. That's your workspace for uh, for a lot of time recently. And if the prime minister had rose as he did 11 days ago, said what he said, we've got credible allegations. The Indian government was involved in the killing of a sick leader in B.C. I don't know. Is that easier said than done to have better diplomatic relations when you say that? It's interesting that he's saying that at such close proximity to uh, the understanding that India had an alleged role in the in the killing of, of Mr. Niger. Um, I, I was quite surprised. You know that it is necessary to keep those diplomatic relationships. Is that what you want to come out with right at the, you know, in such short proximity to having this revelation, I think the more salient matter is uh, ensuring that we have all of the information. And I think the, the other side to this thing that we're not really paying enough attention to is the, the official opposition actually rising in the House and really challenging the government on what has actually happened with, with uh, this situation and the involvement of the Indian government and holding the government to account to really do a thorough investigation. This is not something that we should take lightly. Uh, while we need to maintain diplomatic relations, there is a credible, uh, lively threat uh, that the MPs uh, have, spoke, have risen in the House spoken and spoke about. MPs in the, on the government side have risen in the House and spoke about not getting visa, being threatened. This is something credible that needs further investigation. And it, while we need diplomatic relations, I think the prime minister needs to be firm in resolving this issue and having the official opposition like really targeting ensuring that Canadians know that we're safe 
uh, and from foreign interference on domestic soil. David Ryder, how do you view it? I had somebody reach out to me and say, listen, they're now in a bit of a jam because they can't life's as, as he put it, life's not an episode of 24. Like you're not going to watch all this play out in real time. And at the same time, the door's already been opened in that Justin Trudeau said, we've got the credible evidence. And it's understandable, almost human nature, that voters, let alone politicians, as Selena would point out, would say, it, it's been 11 days. Like, do, is there any more to come with the evidence part? Yeah, it, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, one of the interesting things watching for me watching this play out is some of the people previously who had been really yelling about foreign political interference because maybe a you know, a Canadian MP's relatives in China got some harassing phone calls or something are kind of now saying, like, don't poke the bear when, you know, if the if the allegation is true, a foreign government in some way aided the killing of a Canadian on Canadian soil. Like, you can't get much more sort of foreign political interference, uh, criminal interference than that. Having said that, um, you know, yeah, we, we know that what the prime minister said, we know that uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, the NDP leader, has said he's seen the evidence and believes it's credible. Um, it, it was apparently forwarded by uh, an ally of Canada, really between the seas, I think maybe the United States. Um, so, but now mm-hmm. India is such a world player. Uh, it, 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 the only thing I think the best way out of it or what, what could be for the prime minister is mm that people see this as a line in the sand, that if you do this again, you know, you are going to get called out. I know that the um, the U.S. Secretary of State has told Canada he's going to raise this issue when he meets with an Indian official today. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the questions, like, if would would India have done this, have killed, if it's true, would India have killed an American on American soil and not expected some kind of retaliation? Retaliation. So yeah, maybe or, or some kind of like a big Something. uproar, and so maybe this is maybe you know we don't get back to normal, but maybe if it's true, they don't try this again. Well, Selena, I'll I'll, I'll put it to you. I mean, I, I've had many people theorize what if what if the the Meng Wanzhou situation was turned around, and the, and she's she's arrested in the states, and all of a sudden two Americans, the two Michaels are in Chicago and all of a sudden they disappear and or are from the United States, I should say, and are all of a sudden jailed in China. We got a major, major U.S. China. Like then we're worried about a nuclear war. We're not just negotiating back and forth and sending emails. That's a massive story. Yeah. So so diplomatic relations are always tricky and always tricky to play out in the public, in the in the media. Um, so it's, it's very tricky. And I I understand sort of the dance that is required. However, I'm, I'm just going to get back to the other point of just saying that we're, you know, we're going to try to maintain diplomatic relations. It's, it's, I think that we really need to, to actually show our mettle here. And it, it's not about it happening again. Someone has, has died. Someone was, was killed. Yeah. So we don't want this again. And so you, you really have to. There's no if you do this again. There's, there's nothing like that. Trudeau needs to be a little bit firmer. The opposition needs to be a little bit firmer in, in ensuring to Canadians in particular that this is not even a question of if or when we are, are putting our foot down, whatever measures that they have to make sure it never happens again. All right. We got a few minutes left. We're going to uh, we're going to go right to uh, provincial politics. This was Adil Shamji, the uh, liberal MPP, one of nine. Uh, basically saying why he's dropping out of the liberal leadership race and he's backing Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie. You know, I've always felt that my 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 loyalty is 
greater to the province and to the party than it is to myself. And I feel if I want to have maximum impact on those issues, it's to hand the torch over to someone who can amplify my advocacy on the greatest scale possible. Selena Cesar Chavan, you and I have talked about political chess games before and moving the pieces back and forth on the board. So he goes to Crombie's. A lot of Shamji supporters that don't love that. There's a lot of Crombie supporters that do, and people are like, oh, this, this now it's, it's, she's almost there. But if Nate Erskine Smith gets backing from uh, Yasser Nakvi at some point, then it's sort of move for move. How do you view it? I, I don't. I, I try not even to watch this, <laughs> this liberal chess game. You know, at the end of the day, uh, the liberals, whoever is listening, that's a liberal, and you're going to be voting for a leader. Just get someone that you know. If you want someone that is going to go toe to toe with Ford, make sure that you get someone who's able to do that in a credible way. Um, everybody has their baggage. Everybody has things that could go tit for tat. You did this. You did that. Mm-hmm. But there has to be someone that is credible to stand up to Ford. If that's, in fact, what the liberals want, to win an election, to get themselves out of whatever place they're in right now, however dismal number of seats, that's what they need to do. The strategy to do that, uh, maybe a deal is is picking up on that vibe that they actually want to win at some point in the near future. Uh, But uh, I I try just really not to watch it. I just hope that something (laughs) comes out at the end. That's a challenge for it. David Ryder, um, it, it, politics comes down to two things, especially like this when you're choosing a leader. You're, you, you, it may not be who you align with the most. You're just going, can that person, can that man or woman freaking win? I think we saw that in the States with Joe 100%. Biden four years ago, and we're yeah. seeing it now. You, you, you're like, Joe Biden, but if someone tells you, hey, buddy, he's the only person that can beat Donald Trump, you put him in. I think that's exactly true. I, I think this has been Bonnie Crombie's, uh, race to lose from the moment she jumped in. Uh, you know, oh, she's uh, an experienced, uh, extremely popular politician, especially in the 905. So she would probably get Toronto votes to vote against Doug Ford, but she would also get a lot of 905 votes. Um, she's extremely well regarded. Yeah. And I think you're right with the, the Biden. I remember some people like, oh, I like Mayor Pete or I like this. And I would say, well, to my friends, when we talk about it, I'd say, I don't think America's ready to switch from. Uh, Donald Trump to somebody completely different. So, but you, if you've got an older yeah. uh, like establishment politician who's not Donald Trump, they probably have a good shot. And I think um, mm. reporting from my colleague Robert Benzi has said that Bonnie Crombie has kind of already got in Doug Ford's head that he yep. knows she's an extreme threat to him. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I think if, if it comes down to winnability, a lot of the, mm. I mean, yes or not, be like, I think if she wasn't in the race, he would definitely be, you know, one to beat. But yeah. uh, she, she's extremely at the moment, she seems extremely formidable. I got 30 mm-hmm. seconds for each of you. Um, Taylor Swift's going to watch um, Chiefs Jets oh, at the Meadowlands. <laughs> oh, God, is the answer. That, you, that's the correct answer. You win. Um, tr- Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Come on, Selena. Do we endorse this couple? Is this going to work oh, out? God. Wedding bells? Just, no, please go go to David. On this one. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a father of a 15-year-old girl, I say, oh. all hail Taylor Swift. She's, uh, I think she's an incredible woman. She's an incredible <laughs> songwriter. She's got incredible economic power. She's moved markets. And this guy, he seems like a, unlike a, so maybe a petulant boy or a rock star, he seems like a solid guy. I hope they, uh, I hope she's very happy. I think, yeah, more a better character than Jose Canseco for the for the 8% of people listening. Uh, I, I hope it works out. And, and your 15-year-old's going to ask for a Travis Kelsey jersey for Christmas. That's just an inevitable, <laughs> well, yeah. inevitable fact of life. Loved having you both on. That was phenomenal stuff today. Thank you for the time. It's valuable, I know. And uh, have a great weekend.
Have a good weekend. Thank you.